Welcome to First Baptist Church Brunswick Podcast. Here at First Baptist Church, we exist to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Listen closely as we hear a word from Pastor Chris Winford. Well, amen, amen. Thank you, Britton and worship team for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And as you are turning there, uh, there has been a spirit of prayer this morning, and so I want to continue that prayer. And so I ask that you just pray with me, please, as you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Father, we come before you this morning, and Father, we acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of our lives. And Father, today, at this moment, we humbly bow before you, and we lay everything down at the foot of the cross, and we humbly come before you and say, Word of God, speak. Speak to us, conform us into your image so that we can communicate to a lost and dying world that Jesus saves. And I pray, Father, now as we read your word, you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here as we are continuing our series uh, on Ecclesiastes, uh, Life uh, Under uh, the Sun. And as we're looking at this, uh, we're looking at Solomon, the wisest man who had ever lived, as he, as he seeks to find meaning in uh, this life. And uh, through the great portion of this book, he looks to find meaning of life under the sun, which we know means uh, to live life without God and you live as you reject God. God. And so um, in preparing for uh, this message, one of the things that I do when I prepare for messages, I will uh, read headlines in the news and, and see how that lines up with Scripture and how Scripture lines up um, with the headlines in the news. And I ran across a headline this week that I just has to share with you this morning. And the title made me stop in my tracks. And the headline read, Arizona and the Toad Lickers. Arizona and the Toad Liquors. And when I first read that headline, I thought, man, that's a really cool name for a band. <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish, right? Hootie and the Blowfish, a Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Some of you may know that one. Gladys Knight and the Pips. Or one of my all-time favorite, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> Good vibrations. You may know what I'm talking about. Some of you are too embarrassed to say that you know that, but uh, praise the Lord, this article, Arizona and the Toad Lickers, was not the title of a, a new band. Instead, it was the true story of undercover agents for the Arizona Department of Fish and Game arresting several people for licking toads. They are, I can't make this up. The Arizona Department of Fish and Game arrested several people for toad licking. Apparently, in Arizona, this is a serious crime. I'm just going to read some of the article. Uh, those arrested had in their possession the Colorado River toad. This toad grows between four and seven inches long. It's found on the Mexican border of the Grand Canyon. And the toad's primary defense system are glands that produce a poison that are strong enough to kill a predator. The article goes on to say, well, this poisonous substance, which it secretes, includes psychedelic chemicals that when you lick a toad, 
You don't turn into a prince. You get high. And it goes on to say, drug-addicted people get high either by licking the toads directly or drying the secretion and then smoking it. One official warned that that drug is poisonous and dangerous, to which everybody says, you think? And then the article concludes what I think is a great way to conclude the article and is a segue into what we're talking about in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. The article concludes with these words, people will go to any length to get high. Isn't that good? People will go to any length to get high, to experience a pleasure. To experience something that will bring a euphoria to their life. Many young men, young women, high school and college, they will go through a stage in their lives where they believe that if they smoke it, shoot it, drink it, embrace it, and guzzle it, they're going to find joy. A lot of times we will just cast that aside and say, oh, they're they're just casting their wild oats. Well, unfortunately, we know many older people who do not outgrow this pursuit of personal pleasure. And if there's a message for young people today that they need to hear, it's this. That you listen to the words of Solomon. Listen to what Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, we know him in our text as the preacher, the teacher, the Koheleth. And in our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning, Solomon, thankfully, he doesn't succumb to toad licking, but he tries everything else. He tries everything else, and he comes to the conclusion again and again and again that there has to be something better than what I'm trying to fill my life with. I'm trying to find meaning, I'm trying to find satisfaction, and and I'm looking at life under the sun, but he comes to the conclusion that all is vanity, all is vanities, it's futile, there has to be something better. And I think we could all agree today that after this week, and after the past two weeks, what's going on in the life of our country, I think we all could agree, Democrats and Republicans, there's got to be something better than this. Well, over 3,000 years ago, Solomon gives us this advice. And what I want us to look at this morning is, I want us to look at Solomon's pursuit. His pursuit of finding meaning in life and what he looks for, what he, what he tries, what he attempts to find meaning. And he's going to come to the conclusion that it's futile, but, but this is an autobiography. And I believe we would do well to listen to the words of this wise man. I want you to write this down as we begin Solomon's pursuit to find meaning. Write this down. Number one, look at Solomon's pursuit of pleasure. Beginning in chapter two, verse number one, Solomon is going to begin to look for meaning in life because he said in chapter one, what advantage does a man have under the sun? It's, there's, there's no profit to this earth. It just keeps going on and on and on. What's the meaning? And so he's trying to answer that question, and he begins with this pursuit of pleasure. Look at verse number one, and he says this, I said to myself, 
come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and he's going to give us a conclusion. And behold, it too was a futility. The word pleasure, you may have heard another word used for pleasure. It's the word hedonism, H-E-D-O-N-I-S-M, hedonism. Solomon begins to pursue hedonism. Well, what in the world is hedonism? In 1716, the French atheist and philosopher Voltaire wrote this, and it's on the screen. The French atheist and philosopher Voltaire said this, pleasure is the object. It's the duty and the goal of all rational creatures. And when Voltaire says rational creatures, what he means is humanity. He's not meaning animals because animals are not rational creatures. Humanity, we are the rational creatures. But Voltaire, the atheist, life under the sun, rejecting God, living life without God, he came to the conclusion that pleasure is the ultimate goal of all rational creatures. This is called hedonism. A hedonism is, the, is living a life believing that pleasure is the highest goal in life, that you just feel good, that you do things to make you have an experience. And hedonism believes that this is the goal of humanity. How many of you would agree with the statement that, that we are living in a society and culture that says, how does this make me feel? That's our number one criteria for what we do. How does this make me feel? When you ask that question, that is in line with Voltaire, that's in line with hedonism, that's in line where, where you believe that how I feel is the ultimate goal in life. Now, I firmly believe this, that, that we're living in a world, we're living in an era where when you stand up for what is truth, and you make the argument for truth, and, for, and, and, and if you will be a little bit strong in that truth, more people today will get mad at you because you are strong in your defense and you make them feel uncomfortable. They're more mad at you because of that rather than you defending the truth. And this is how I know it, because you put it on Facebook, you put it on social media, right? Because we do that. We do that. Rather than standing for the truth, we get critiqued because we are just mean. Why is that? Because we think that how we feel is the most important thing in life, and that is in line with hedonism, where I think pleasure is my ultimate goal. Several years ago, I read a book called The Unreality Industry. It was written about 1989, 1990, and in that book, it said, pleasure is now big business in America, and it's what drives the economy. That was written in 1989, 1990. If it was true then, how much so today? We live in a 24-hour entertainment society. Everything has to entertain us. The news has to entertain us. You know how, how anchors have now changed from sitting behind the desk. Are you with me? Now they get up and stand by a prompt. And so it's all about entertainment. Social media is about entertainment. 
Um, doctor's office waiting rooms has to have a TV. You have to have books to read. We have to be entertained. In my daughter's dentist office uh, on St. Simon's, and I'm not complaining about this, this is an illustration, when the dentist lays them back in the chair, there is a TV on the ceiling. And they get to choose whatever they want to watch. I don't know about you, I remember going to, the, going to the dentist when I was younger. All they gave me was laughing gas and that was it. Can I get an amen? I saw the needle come my way. Are you with me? I didn't care how I felt. Here, take this laughing gas. It never made me laugh. Anybody with me this morning? Church has to be entertaining. For many people today. Huh. Neil Postman wrote a book called We Are Amusing Ourselves to Death. He said in the 18th century America was represented by the city Boston. In the 19th century America was represented by Chicago. In the 20th century New York. In the 21st century he said this, that the city that represents our country is none other than Las Vegas. A city completely devoted to the entertainment industry. Our society is built on let's just have fun. Now, before you think, Pastor, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Just before you think, you know, you're a stiff, you're against everything that is pleasurable and that is fun. No, that's, that's not the truth because the reality is God says pleasure is good. It feels good to feel good, Amen feels good. But Scripture tells us over and over again that that is not our goal. As a matter of fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, pleasure is not even considered evil. Later on in chapter 2, the teacher, the preacher, the Kohel of Solomon is going to say that pleasure, it's a gift of God. In verse 26, he says, God gives us wisdom. He gives us knowledge and he gives us joy. Later on in the book, he's going to say again and again, go, eat, enjoy your life, enjoy what you have here on this earth because this is God's gift. So the pursuit of pleasure in of itself is not wrong. The issue that Solomon says, the conclusion is this, that if you seek to find meaning to your life in pleasure, you're totally missing the boat. Well, so Solomon says in verse 1, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. But he says, but behold, it too is vanity. So he continues on in his search. His next search is laughter. Look at verse number two. I said of laughter, it is of madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? This word laughter uh, in Hebrew is defined in two different ways. Uh, One is defined as having a good time. That laughter is is where you can enjoy. It's good. It's fun. Um, And scripture talks about the goodness of laughter. Solomon write in Proverbs 17, a joyful heart heart is good medicine. In Psalm 126, he would say, our mouths should be filled with laughter and our tongues should be filled with shouts of joy. We should shout, the Lord has done great things for us. Job, who went through great 
persecution said, God will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. So laughter is a good thing. It is a good thing. It is a gift from God. But in our context, that's not what Solomon's talking about. He's talking about laughter under the sun, which leads us to, then what's the other definition of laughter? The other definition of laughter is this, to make fun of other people, to put other people down, to to play practical jokes on people and put it on social media so that everybody can see. Are you with me? It's putting people down. Down, Solomon and all of his wisdom, who is at the height of his, uh, uh, of his kingship. Uh, maybe at one point he would have said, man, I am so much better than you that I just look down upon you and I laugh at you. You know, students, middle school, high school, one of the big struggles in middle school and high school is the fact that, that people can be mean to you. Isn't that right? And they will find anything to make fun of you. They will seek anything and everything to make fun of you and to put other people down. I can tell you, as a, as a redhead, I gave plenty of people ammunition to make fun of me. Just because of my red hair, I naturally stood out. And people would use that. And students, middle school, high school, college, know this, that when other people put you down, that does not give them an advantage. As a matter of fact, when you put other people down or other people put you down, it shows a lack of spiritual immaturity or a lack of spiritual maturity. It shows their immaturity. You know, Paul would later on say in Philippians chapter 2 that we need to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but out of pure humility, consider others better than yourself. And Solomon says, laughter, it feels good to laugh. Makes my body feel good, but there's still no meaning to it. It doesn't give me an advantage. And so then he goes to verse number three. He then begins to pursue pleasure through wine. Anybody feeling good just yet? Are you with me this morning? Am I an old fuddy-duddy? Look at your neighbor and say, you bet he is. Well, let's look at Solomon's journey looking for meaning, looking through meaning, through hedonism, and now he's going to pursue wine. Verse 3, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, meaning this, he wasn't going to get drunk. That's what he means there. I'm going to go to the edge. I'm going to get as close as I possibly can but yet still have my mental capabilities to help me to understand uh, what good there is for sons of men under this earth or under heaven the few years of this life. So what Solomon's saying is, I've tried intellectualism. He did that in chapter 1. I've tried, tried hedonism. I'm trying pleasure. I'm trying laughter. Now I'm trying wine. And he says, I'm going to take notes on this. I want to see if there's any profit to drinking wine. I know of a man, not, not here in Brunswick, but at a former church, I know of a man who had 
beautiful wife, great family. But he also had, he had some friends of his that he called his drinking buddies. And he comes in and he talks to me and he tells me the story that his drinking buddies continually asked him to go out and drink with him, go to the bars. And as we begin to have this conversation and he says, but, but here's one thing that, that you need to know about my drinking buddies. And he said this, is that all of my drinking buddies, all of their families had been destroyed. They'd been destroyed. They had uh, lost their families through partying, through adultery, and through the pursuit of pleasure. And the, but this man said, they kept, kept asking me to go out. And he said, finally, I just I gave in to them. And I, and I began to go out with them. And I, and I would go to the bar, and they, would, and they would play the music. And we'd see these women, and we would drink these drinks. And he said, he said, Pastor, I remember one time, I'm just sitting there, and I'm watching all of this take place. And I began to think to myself, man, I've got a great wife. I've got great kids who, 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 who want and need a good life and who need a good, a good education. He said, Pastor, finally... Finally, I just got up and I walked out because I realized right then in that moment I had better things to do with my life. And as he and I began to talk, we came to the same conclusion that that man walked out of the bar not because of his Christian morality, but because of Solomon's reasoning. That there's there's no fulfillment in wine. There's no fulfillment and drinking. Are you with me this morning? I'm going to step on some toes here, so get ready. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't wait. (laughs) What Solomon says is drinking is vanity. It's futile. It doesn't profit you anything. And here's why we know that. The commercials do not show you what the next morning looks like after a night of partying, do they? They don't show you what it looks like. They don't show you the families whose lives have been destroyed by alcohol. I believe this with all of my heart that there is an alcohol problem in the Golden Isles. I believe that. Historically, there have been parents who have thrown drinking parties for their underage children. Community leaders and school leaders turned a blind eye to that. I call that a problem. In my 20 years of pastoral ministry, in 20 years of my pastoral ministry, not one time, not one time has a family member or a family come up to me and say, Pastor, can I just tell you something? Can I tell you that ever since my parents started drinking, my life has been so much better? Not one time have I had a teenage student, son, daughter, boy, girl, come up to me and say, Pastor, you know, ever since my mom or my dad started drinking, they've just become a better parent. Not one time. Not one time. But the other times 
100% of the time when it revolves around alcohol in a counseling session, 100% of the time it's about how alcohol has destroyed our lives. 100% of the time. And Solomon, 3,000 years ago, says, I tried to stimulate my body with wine, and I found it to be futile. I found it to be vanity. I found that it did not, it did not give me advantage over anything. And I find it comical and hypocritical when those who do drink then make fun of those who don't drink. Are you with me? Nobody's laughing this morning because it's futile. It's all futile. But Solomon says, I tried it. I tried it. Listen, I, when I was in college, uh, one of my roommates chose to find an escape through alcohol. I spent many nights cleaning him up. Are you with me this morning? And Solomon says, this is futile. Well, now that I've got you mad, know this, I love you very much. In verses 4 through 11, Solomon now says this, I'm done with hedonism. I'm done with pleasure. Tried it, still no meaning. And so in verses 4 through 11, he's now going to try something else. I want you to write this down. He's now is going to pursue materialism. He moves from hedonism, pleasure. He's now going to materialism. Look at verse 4, and we're going to read through this. And notice the word I and for myself. Notice this, verse 4. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself, which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and, and home-born slaves. And also I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Verse number eight. And also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces, and I provided for myself male and female singers, and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Moms and dads, you're welcome. You can explain that one later. But Solomon pursues materialism. One commentary said this, that Solomon created paradise. He created paradise for himself. And he wanted to find purpose and meaning in paradise. In chapter 1, he tried intellectualism. In chapter 2, he's tried hedonism. Now he's trying materialism. Question, what do you think his conclusion is going to be? It's futile. Look at verse number 9. Then I became great and I increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. But my wisdom stood by me, meaning I'm taking notes 
I'm trying to see. I'm doing all these things, but I'm keeping notes. Now look at verse number 10. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. What that means is he did not say the word no. Now you know this in your life, parents. You know this. One of the greatest words in the in the English vocabulary is that word no. Amen? Maybe not. It is. No is one of the best words that you can ever say. No. But Solomon said, I will not say no to anything. I'm just going to say yes. At the end of verse 10, he says, but my heart was pleased because of my labor. But this was my reward for all my labor, meaning this. In all of my search, I did find some pleasure, but that pleasure was my reward. Meaning that pleasure came and it went. Meaning once that pleasure feeling left, I had to go do something again to obtain that pleasure. If you are into counseling and if you study addictions, you know this, that when you seek that pleasure, you seek that high, you get that high, that high immediately does what? It goes down and you've got to go back to that same product and use more of it to get that very same high that's called addiction and Solomon says here I'm trying it and it is leaving me empty he's saying there's got to be something better now there may be somebody here this morning you may be addicted to something and you know what Solomon is talking about Because deep within the recesses of your soul, you are saying, there's got to be something better. There has to be something that can satisfy me. There has to be something here that will give me meaning and that will give me purpose well. Look at verses 12 through 17. You would think that Solomon, he's sure not acting like the wisest man in all of the earth, is he? You're going, man, when are you going to learn? Are you with me? Well, he still hasn't learned in verses 12 through 17 because now he's going to begin a pursuit of finding meaning through playing by the rules, meaning he's going to do what's right. Look at verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? Look at verse 13. And I saw that wisdom, wisdom meaning doing the right thing, doing the good thing. And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. This is what Solomon says. He says, I began to play by the rules. I began to do the right thing. And here's what I discovered. If you do the right thing instead of the dumb thing, your life is going to be better. Amen? If you just make good decisions in life, make the good choices, your life is ultimately going to be better. How many of you in this room like to play by the rules. Let me see your hands go up. Yeah, you have a hard time answering that question, those who play by the rules. Does he want me to raise my hand? If he wants me to raise my hand, I will. But if he doesn't, I don't want to do that because I don't want to play. I'm kind of nervous on this one. You see it? Because this is what I saw. How many of you like to play by the rules? Yeah, me. How many of you do not like to play by the rules? Yeah, me. That's right. You have no problem raising your hand. I don't like rules. 
you know, uh, I personally, I, I prefer to play by the rules. Uh, I never liked to color outside of the lines. That's just me uh, personally. Um, but, and you know this, right, folks? Whenever two people come into uh, a room and one of you likes to color outside the lines, the other likes to color inside the lines, you automatically know there's already a problem. Isn't that right? There's just already a problem. But here Solomon says, I, I'm trying to color in between the lines, and here's what I realize that doing right is much better than doing wrong. If you do the right thing, you're going to have a much better life because light is better than darkness. But look at verse 14. Then he comes back to the same conclusion. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know the one fate befalls them all. What's that fate? You're still going to die. Isn't that right? You make good choices, you're still going to die. You make bad choices, you're still going to die. Maybe a little bit earlier than the one making good choices, but you're still going to end up in the same place. There's no advantage. Verse 15, then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it'll befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? Why, why this too is vanity? He says, I can't find meaning in that. It's good. I need to enjoy that moment, but under the sun, without God, it's still not giving me meaning. So jump down to verse 17, and he's going to give us the conclusion, okay? Now remember the context. It's under the sun, rejecting God without God. So he says, so I, what's that word? Hated. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and a striving after the wind. Here's a question for you. In life under the sun, what does your search for meaning get you? Solomon says this, it's going to get you a hatred for life, where you despair, where you are depressed. How many of you ever heard of a midlife crisis before? A lot of times this is where midlife crises come in because typically men who are 45 years old, I turned 45 this year. You began to take an evaluation of your previous life and you go, I don't have that much longer to go in my future life. And you start looking back and you go, what have I accomplished? Are you with me? You go, what have I accomplished? And then you have the, the, the young whippersnappers coming up saying, we needed it this way. The way you did it wasn't the right way. Our way is the better. And you start going, I, I, I just don't know what to do. And you start, and you go, what is this life? And so you go out and buy a convertible. But this is what, this is what Solomon's talking about. Look at verse number 18. Are y'all with me this morning? Look at verse 18. And he says, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Why? And I love his response. Because I got to give it to my kids behind me. Right? And then he says in verse 19, and I have no idea what my kids are going to do with the money. I don't know if they're going to be wise. I don't know if they're going to be fools with it. And in verse 20, he says, therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor, which I labored under the sun. Are you getting the picture? Are you getting the picture? <laughs> Several years ago, there was a, 
There was a beer commercial. Why I remember this, I don't know. But I don't know, some of you remember there's certain things from your childhood that you remember that you see on TV. You have no idea why, why you remember these things. But this is one that I've always remembered. Uh, and I believe, again, why, I don't know. This is confession of the soul, please forgive me. But it was for, I think, Old Milwaukee beer. And they had this commercial where these guys, these young men, of course, in all those beer commercials, all the men are, look like me, you know, perfect, handsome, six-pack, you know, just, just, per, just great. I'm like, I, no, there's no way. Like, that can't happen. But they're camping or whatever, and they come to the end of the day. They get around a campfire, and they crack open the beer, and they say this. It doesn't get any better than this. I just remember that commercial. Well, 3,000 years ago, Solomon said, you guys are missing it. He's saying if cracking open the beer and saying this is nothing better than this, then guys, you're missing it. And what happens next? In verses 24 through 26, we finally get some relief. We finally get some relief because here in verses 24 through 26, Solomon finally introduces the reader the hearer to the importance of a deep and intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, somebody who's over the sun. Finally, he comes to this conclusion that there's more to life than under the sun. There's something over the sun that will bring fulfillment. And he says there is something better. There's something better than that old Milwaukee beer. There's something better than licking toads. He finally comes to that conclusion. And his conclusion is this, Jesus is better. His conclusion is the creator of the universe is better. Look at verse 24, and he says, There is nothing better for a man to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. Meaning, the best that you can do living your life under the sun, the best that you can do is just enjoy what you eat and drink and enjoy the labor. He says, that's your reward, and your reward under the sun, it's going to be here on the earth, and that's it. It is not eternal. You cannot take it with you. The Egyptians, when they would bury their pharaohs uh, and their leaders, they would put all of their, um, uh, their owning, their belongings, they would put it into the pyramids, believing that they would take that stuff with them to all of eternity. But the scripture says, you will take nothing from this earth. He who dies with the most toys still dies. And your reward was already what you had on earth. And then he says, this I've seen a gift from God, verse 25, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Finally. And to Solomon, you can remember this picture, Solomon, he's the Koheleth, he's the preacher, he's the teacher, he's called an assembly, um, he's got all of these people around him and they're listening to him. This is a rhetorical question. He's not wanting them to answer out loud because you know the answer to the question. For who? Who can enjoy? Who can eat? And who can have enjoyment in this world without him? And the truth is, you will never find enjoyment outside of a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the one who ultimately satisfies.
And this is something that we have to continually remind ourselves over and over and over again that the purpose of life is not that we are just entertained. And that the purpose of life is more than having fun. That the purpose of life is, having, uh, experience, is more than experiencing thrills. It's more than feeling good. That the purpose and the meaning of life is deeper. It's much more than that. Listen, God did not make us to enjoy a 24-hour-a-day full of leisure. We are not simply made to, to get up and eat and go back to bed again and then fill our lives with just fun. We're made for a purpose, but our purpose will only find fulfillment in bowing our knee in humble um, a surrender to Jesus Christ. The most satisfied man who ever lived on this planet was Jesus Christ. And he said this, I came. He said this, I emptied myself of all the glory of sitting by the right hand of the Father. Meaning, I had it all. And I emptied myself and I took the form of a servant. And I took the form of a servant. Listen, if you are alive today, look at your neighbor and say, are you alive? Yes, you are. If you are alive, God has a purpose for your life, but it will only be fulfilled and found in your complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ. John Newton, uh, the great author, hymn writer, of the song Amazing Grace. Amen? Not long after pinning the words to that great hymn, he wrote a poem that I believe perfectly depicts what we just read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want to read this to you and I'm going to close with this. And he writes, My waking dreams are best concealed. Much folly, little good do they yield. But now and then I gain when sleeping a friendly hint that's worth the keeping. Lately I dreamt of one who cried, beware of self, beware of pride. When you're prone to build a babble, recall to mind this little fable. Once upon a time, a paper kite was mounted to a wondrous height, where giddy with its elevation, it thus expressed self-admiration. See how yon crowds of gazing people admire my flight above the steeple. How would they wonder if they knew all that a kite like me can do? Were I but free, I'd take a flight, and I'd pierce the clouds beyond their sight. But ah, like a poor prisoner bound, this string confines me near the ground. I'd brave the eagle's towering wing, might I but fly without this string. It tugged and it pulled while thus it spoke. To break the string, at last it broke. Deprived at once of all its stay, in vain it tried to soar away. Unable its own weight to bear, it fluttered downward through the air. Unable its own course to guide, the winds soon plunged it into the tide. Ah, foolish kites, 
thou hadst no wing, how could thy fly without the string? And my heart replied, Oh Lord, I see how much this kite resembles me. Forgetful that by thee I stand, I'm so impatient of thy ruling hand. How I've oft, how I oft wish to break the lines that thy wisdom for my life assigns. How oft indulged a vain desire for something more or something higher. And but for grace and love divine, a fall thus dreadful had been mine. There is something better than this world. And you and I need the string of Jesus Christ. Because the string of Christ Jesus is what gives you purpose and it gives you life. Today, would you quit resisting the string? Would you put down your pride? Would you put down your arrogance and humbly bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Because He is better. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, that you are better. And Father, I thank you that you came to deliver us from the ways of the world. That you came to set us free from that which entangles us. You came to set us free that which keeps us in captivity. I thank you, Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the perfect God. Thank you for emptying yourself and coming in the form of a man, humbled yourself even to the point of death, that you took upon your own sin, your, your shoulders, my sin, our sin. Thank you. And Father, today, in response to what you have already done, we bow our knee and we confess to you, forgive us. And Father, in our humble bowing of the knee, we now ask that you fill us and you satisfy us as only you can. God, satisfy me. Satisfy me, Father. God, you know how many times we mess up. You know how many times we don't do it the right way. Or God, we just, come be our satisfaction. Father, there's somebody here this morning who has not bowed the knee to you. I pray today would be that day they would come find complete satisfaction and purpose in you, in your death and the burial and the resurrection of you. Father, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray.